free marketing to all the vendors who list with her this month. Welcome to Books and Beyond with your host, Alison. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. No my hide my Kiara and welcome to our Books and Beyond Literary Lounge with Alison and Enika. Kiara Enika. Kiara Alison. Now happy Valentine's Day and Galentine's and Palentine's <laughs> Day to you as well. Oh right back at you, Alison. <laughs> so look, um we're not real not officially on the theme of Valentine's Day today, but it will I think it will come through in the narratives. Yes, so I hopefully just, we'll get that warm Valentine's yeah, flow through it, shall that's we? That's right. Yeah, so listen listen for the threads. So we're going to be talking today about what we've been reading and what's on our TBR lists and then we've got a super hot tip. So hot. It's so hot. So hot. It's yeah. So hot right now. So let's get started. Now look, given that it's it's Pride Month and um that this book that I'm about to talk about has made the long list of the Ockham New Zealand Book Awards for 2021, and this is in the general non-fiction category. I'm going to talk about um, the book called Crossing the Lines. Mm-hmm. It's the so its subtitle is the story of three homosexual soldiers in World War Two, and it's by the author Brent Coots. Uh, just published. Now, Brent Coots lives in Auckland and he tends to write on themes of social justice, identity and and Mm decolonisation. So now, this is a fabulous book. I just loved having a look through it. So he um, brings to light what has been a previously untold story and history of um, New Zealand soldiers in World War Two who were homosexuals. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually that word was used at the, the time to describe those men and we don't use it as much these days. So I do want to acknowledge that. But um, so they were ordinary men, but they lived through extraordinary times. Mm. So at the centre of of the story in this book, you've got the three ordinary New Zealand soldiers, Harold Robinson, Ralph Dyer and Douglas Morrison. And they what they had in common was a queer identity and a love of performance. Now, um, they were members of the... New Zealand military concert parties in the Pacific and Egypt. Um, and because these, the concert parties were there to boost morale mm-hmm. of the, the army um, people that were stationed in, um, overseas. Um, so, and these, the three men sort of found their place in, in the concert parties um, and found their place as gay men within the military forces. Um, and there's some love stories through the book too, because they they had, you know, these extraordinary times. Yeah. Um, often love, I think, was very intense. Um, so um, it starts. The book starts off with the men when they're very young and their formative pre-war lives um, through those difficult wartime years mm-hmm. and then it um, takes you through to their experiences after the war living in London and in New Zealand where they 
embraced the you know the the many possibilities that were available to them and you really see the story of strong friendships um but the search for love and belonging um and it, you also see through this fantastic research that he's done the early foundations of the today's queer community Mm. So it's it's fascinating. Sounds so interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's a beautiful book. The the photos are magnificent, and um, lots of ephemera um, reproductions of things like concert tickets mm-hmm. and the concert programs from um, from those military concerts that mm. they did. Um, now, all three men were extremely camp and effeminate. They were very outgoing and they had great senses of humour. But what, um, and all of this sort of united them, but they were quite unapologetic about their sexuality, which I reckon, because um, this is a long time ago, this yeah. is sort of 80 years ago, you'd sort of expect that they might have been ostracised or taunted by the other soldiers. Mm. But curiously, um, those extremely effeminate men, as long, of course, as they were witty and funny, yeah, they were often sort of valued as the comedians in any group, and and they were accepted by broad society. Yeah, it seems to be a bit of a theme, particularly yeah. in sort of British society, you know, colonial yes, communities. You, you sort of saw it in early radio and TV, yeah. really, didn't you? That um, some of those high camp sort of men. Did, did quite well and they were accepted. Yeah. I guess the um, our example here would be Hudson and Halls, wouldn't it? Yeah, the, that's a yeah, great example of that. 1970s and 80s. Um, but it's all, there's also a sadness to it that mm. they kind of had to be over the top camp, really, didn't they, to find acceptance? Yeah, and to keep those laughs coming and yes. ward off. Yes, and I think... There's often probably deep sadness behind that that laughter. I mean, especially if you read about Hudson Halls and their their yes. lives. Um, memoir by Joanne yes. Drayton. Yeah, mm. is, is fabulous. Yeah, and now interesting fact. This was quite a fun fact. Harold Robinson, one of the soldiers, married the dancer Frida Stark in oh. 1947. So they had the classic lavender marriage. Yeah. But they, I think they were great mates and they travelled everywhere and performed and, you know, it was... been a good partnership. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's just um, such a good book and it's so meticulously researched mm. so it's going to be really good for future researchers but it provides a wonderful social history of New Zealand and of that time um, and the difficulty uh, that um, the author found researching a book like this mm-hmm. is that the families of many of these soldiers had destroyed their letters and diaries um, for fear of judgment i guess yeah and um which is really sad and i think it's a tragedy for their friends in the wider community absolutely you were saying that that happened with hudson yes as well yes and it's yeah Mm. and it just means that there's sort of this gap in what you what you know about their lives so which is sad isn't it yes so it's a yeah bittersweet 
Definitely. Book. Yeah. Well, that actually mm. reminds me of a book that I was reading about recently. Um, I haven't yet got my hands on this book, but it's called um, Loving, A Photographic History of Men in Love, 1850s to 1950s. And it's by Hugh Ninney and Neil Treadwell. Um, I read about this in The Guardian. Um, it's actually a photography book. Um, and it features um, historical photographs between that period of 1850 to 1950, um, and they're all photos of um, gay couples, so either taken by themselves in private or using photo booths. Oh, the photo booths, yeah. yeah. And railway stations um, or taken by friends, you know, sympathetic friends. Um, and the authors started their collection of this by, they started uncovering these photographs in, um, you know, vintage shops or antique shops and op shops oh. and things like this. And then they started putting the call out asking for people to, um, you know, to send them examples of these that they might have from from relatives or, um, pe- you know, people in their family who had passed or friends. And, um, yeah, they got this wonderful um, tide of photographs. So that's actually in our collection. It um, was published in 2020, so you could go and find that. And um, you could also have a look um, at the 2014 book, um, Invisibles, which um, is subtitled Vintage Portraits of Love and Pride, and that's mm. by Sebastian Lifshitz. Um, which features um, uh, male couples and female couples. Wow, what important works. I'm so glad that people have put the time in to, to getting these um, collated and published. Yeah, yeah, mm. absolutely. Well, staying on our Pride theme, um, while I was on holiday in January, I uh, recently um, inhaled the book uh, Honeybee, which is a novel by Australian author Craig oh. Sylvie. Yeah, you might have already heard about this book. It's getting a lot of buzz at the moment. Um, and I absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, when the story opens, it's really this quite unforgettable opening. Um, the 14-year-old narrator, Sam, he meets an elderly widower, um, Vic, under very unusual circumstances. They're actually on a bridge and they're both planning to end it all mm. from the same bridge at the same time. And they spot each other. Um, and they start talking and they start learning a little bit about what's brought them there on that, that night. Um, when um, Vic hears about what's brought Sam there, he actually decides that he's, they, they both change their plans. Vic decides he's going to open his house up and bring Sam into his life and he kind of offers him this safety net and a sort of a first link of support in a network that really proves that friends can be the family that you get mm. to choose and when you need them. Yep. Um, now, young Sam is navigating so much apart from the usual sort of adolescent mm. angst of, of early teenage years. Um, he's very gentle and he's quietly talented young man, um, young person. Um, he's uh, experiencing so much hurt and confusion. He's, uh, there's a result um, because he is, uh, I should say they, are struggling for gender identity mm. that really fits. Um, and there's a continuing sort of aftershocks of a chaotic childhood with his mm-hmm. mother, um, who had him quite young and, yeah, has quite struggled. Now, the older Sam's getting and the more they're showing signs of growing into who they're meant to be, the more dangerous it gets for them mm. to stay with mum and an unsympathetic stepdad. Now, this book's got a really memorable cast of characters and um, Vic is very supportive of Sam while he's also grieving for his, his wife, who's recently died. And in exchange, Sam is learning um, recipes from her cookbooks oh. and working their way through her wardrobe of vintage threads as well. It's quite lovely. 
um, he's, uh, Sam starts to relax, grow and connect with this wonderful family made up of all the new friends. There's a chatty girl next door, Aggie and her warm family, and Pete, who he um, who they meet um, at a drag drag night that Vic takes them to, um, who is like a real defender and an advocate for him and also a, a nurse as well. Mm. Um, and through all this support, Sam finally feels safe enough to begin the process of coming out as transgender. Um, the wheels do come off, um, mm. as they often do, and um, all that sort of learning starts to kind of go by the wayside. Um, Sam's really thrown for a loop and he um, and they try and fit back into this sort of dangerous way of life mm. that, that had been part of the, their childhood um, with the sort of crime and drugs and this kind of toxic masculinity, um, violent background, um, trying to get acceptance from the family that they've wow. left. Mm. Um, it's uh, Craig Sylvie's first book for adults, so previous book, Jasper Jones, um, might be familiar with oh, this, written yes, for the, YA organise? Yeah, audience. Team One. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's kept to the same sort of writing so it's very clear um really emotionally honest and um there are some really difficult subjects and circumstances in the book but they're handled with a really light touch um yeah i read it really really quickly i was very emotionally invested i'd had to see what happened next mm. um i should mention as well that he's um uh, craig sylvie's been addressing the fact that he's not writing from an own voice perspective um he's done extensive research lots and lots of interviews um um, with members of the trans community checking in and making sure that this is the, the way that the story could be told and um, and his intention is to try and build understanding and empathy for the trans community, particularly for young trans um, people. So um, make of that what you will. It has recently won the Dimmick's Book of the Year Prize, so I, the Australian public is really running with it. Oh, that yeah. is great, really, isn't it? Yeah, I really recommend this book. Mm. Oh, I can't wait to, to read it. Thanks for bringing that along. Well, look, speaking of um, teenage angst oh. and um, difficult relationships with mothers in, in particular, mm. um, I've just, and I inhaled this as well, I read it really quickly, uh, the Barbara Ewing memoir ah. has just come out um, called One Minute Crying Time. Now, um, many people will know that Barbara Ewing is a well-known actor and novelist. She's a New Zealander. She's about 80 now, mm. um, and she still divides her time between New Zealand and the UK. Um, she became famous in the late 60s for some horror movies that were, oh. became quite cultish, I gather. But anyway, this is a really vivid memoir and it covers quite a tumultuous childhood and adolescence um, oh, and young adulthood, really, mm -hmm. in Wellington and Auckland in the 1950s and 60s, which was a vastly different time, really, I suppose, we're going back 60 years or, or yeah. more. And um, the uh, this memoir takes us up until 1962 mm -hmm. when she boarded a, a ship bound for England and because um, she'd won a scholarship to study at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in mm. London. So... Um, the memoir draws heavily on the, the diaries that she, she kept from about the age of 12 um, and 
talk about angst. So I suppose it's those teenage <laughs> diaries that, and she dragged them all around the world with her and in teaches wow. and started the sort of painful process of looking back at them. And um, she's often writing from a lens of looking back from twenty, you know, the years sort of twenty twenty, mm-hmm. um, and she can see how self-absorbed they were and you know but this typical of those years typical years <laughs> and um but really interesting insights into to life of in that era i mean it's such a good social history mm. now um she um struggled terribly with something that no one could talk about at the time but we would now see it as terrible anxiety mm. that she had um and she had a quite a difficult relationship with her mum because her mum was brilliant but frustrated and and resentful because she'd had to give up her university and everything uh-huh. to support the dad who was a successful public servant oh i see yeah, and but I mean that's of its its time. Mm. And Barbara was fluent in Te Reo Māori, actually, um, which was unusual um, for a Pākehā um, young person at the time. Um, she had been introduced to it during happy times that she'd spent in the Bay of Plenty as a child, and then she studied um, Te Reo Māori at university as well. So, and this sort of drew her into a world that very few Pākehā had access to at Mm. the time. So you see the beginnings of early biculturalism in New Zealand. And um, yeah, and then she fell deeply, deeply head over heels in love with a a young um, Māori man called Nakaide. And he was destined for for great things. Mm. Um, And they had very complicated relationships um, influenced by society's unease about a bicultural relationship, so which was mm-hmm. really, really sad as well. I won't tell you what happens with that, mm-hmm. but it's um, such an entrancing book. I just really loved it, and um, you get a, a good social history about um, the coffee bars of the time, oh, which yes. were the, the place to to go, and then modern. I'm using air quotes. Modern music rock and roll, like Elvis Presley, yeah. that sort of thing. And um, the dancer, you know, she'd practice dancing in the living, living room with her brothers <laughs> and her mother would be horrified because <laughs> it was sort of thought to be almost obscene. And the um, big descriptions about the six o'clock swill, oh. the, the male public servants would... Um, leave work at 4.35pm, <laughs> as you do, and then drink as much beer as they could before 6 o'clock closing. closing. <laughs> stagger home to resentful wives, you know, where <laughs> dinner was waiting on the table for them. <laughs> but it's just such a, an interesting and fresh... It, the writing's really fresh and it's relatable and oh, that sounds highly, highly recommended. So good. But I'm hoping she'll write a sequel. Um, sounds you know, like she will if she's at stopped, stopped 62. at 62. So can you imagine London in the 60s? So here's, here's hoping yeah. that she writes it. Well, I've got to read this because I, I really don't know much at all about Barbara Ewing, I'm embarrassed mm. to say. So yes, I definitely need to get, get onto this one. Yeah, it's a great read. Well, I've I've um, just finished in the last week um, another novel about love, and this time it's um, really about male platonic friendship. And 
The book is by Andrew O'Hagan and it's called Mayflies. It's actually dedicated to Andrew O'Hagan's best friend who passed in the last Mm. few years. Now, the first half of this book is a coming-of-age story and it's set in 1986 in a small Scottish mining town called um, Ayrshire. Ayrshire? Ayrshire. A-Y-R. However you say I, that. Yes, I should I have cracked this before Air I got here. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> now, the town's been ground down by unemployment and union, mm. union busting, or thatchered, as I like to mm. call it. And we're following narrator James, who's just finished his last year of school, and he's really struggling to make headway with what he's going to do with his life and what life is all like and trying to escape from life with his um, largely detached and quite cold parents. Um, we're also um, following his best friend Tully who's two years older, left school in work and is a very warm and generous person and who shares lots of affection with James and his wages as well. It's very kind. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the first half of the book we're following them, the two of them and their misfit mates and they're off on a much anticipated weekend away in Manchester to spend Tully's wages <laughs> together. Now, the plan is to visit all the record shops, get on the Raz, maybe pull if they're <laughs> lucky, or they might just sleep on a park bench. It really depends how that rolls. But most importantly, they're there to um, to go to a big concert, um, and they're seeing um, their favourite bands. They're seeing the Smiths, the uh-huh. Fall, the Buzzcocks, and New Order wow. perform yeah. live. <laughs> yes, um, mm. I wish I was Please there. Memories, <laughs> it? Yeah. Um, it's a really heady celebration of being, you know, very young and full of yourself, mm. and absolutely obsessed with the things that you love above everything, and also really enthralled by your mates and. Um, those sort of formative friendships of adolescence that are so passionate and, you know, you've got all that time to devote to them that you won't necessarily have later on. (laughs) Um, The dialogues, you know, at this section is really that mixture of sort of mild intellectual posturing, a bit of one-upmanship, lots of cursing Mm. and a bit of camp as well. So it's a bit pretentious, but it actually rang true to my ear, I'm embarrassed to admit. Mm. (laughs) Lots of us have been there in those sort of university years. Um, I loved all the scenes at the gigs and the pubs. It's one of those things at the moment, it's like forbidden fruit, thinking about those sweaty communal crowded spaces. being so close to other people. That's right. (laughs) Now, the second half of the novel um, takes a complete gear shift, really. Um, We're 13 years down the track. It's 2017. And both Tully and James have got long-term partners and successful careers. They're still great mates. Their relationship's really matured over the years. Now, Tully calls James out of the blue and lets him know that he has cancer. And um, he's been given less than six months to live. And he's decided he wants James to be his sort of partner in crime as such. He wants to make the most of the time he has left and um, really die as he's lived Mm. on his own terms. There's this really beautiful writing of that absolute... Like thorough understanding and forgiveness of each other's foibles and, and complete acceptance of each other that that mature, long-standing friendship brings. Um, there's some lovely sort of really well-teased-out tension between the kind of best friend relationship and the romantic relationship when um, mm. Tully's in this situation of sort of facing um, his own death and they're facing the death of their very, you know, cherished partner mm. or partner over so many years. It's a really emotional read. Um, it will make you want to get, get off your chuff and call your friends to arrange mm-hmm. that get-together. Some beautiful sen- scenes um, of connection and friendship mm-hmm. in this book. Um, I know Morrissey's very deeply problematic mm-hmm. um, <laughs> in so many ways, but to quote a line from one of his, um, his songs, 
uh, what Justine was saying, um, this really encapsulates the book, really. Let me see all my old friends. Let me put my arms around them because I really do love them. Now, this is it's beautifully written book. Um, Andrew Higgins, um, this is maybe fourth or fifth book. He's... um, He's a, a editor of the London Review of Books, I oh. believe. Um, yeah, he's well-established mm. writer. So you're in good hands. And if mid-80s music is your jam, there's actually a playlist that he's created to go with it. So you can search Andrew O'Higgins' Mayflies Jukebox online or on Spotify. And it's been optioned for a TV series. So, yeah, we wow. might see, I'd love to see this on yes. TV too. Yeah, oh, that sounds great. I had a tear in my eye as you were describing it. It's so very beautiful. Mm. Mm. Oh, that's thanks for for that. That's wonderful. Now, look, I was going to tell you um, something on my to be read list. Um, that great one, New Zealand one, that's also on the Ockham um, fiction long mm. list for this year. It's the one by Eamon Murrah called Two Thousand Feet Above Worry Level." Ah, oh, yes. Now it's a coming-of-age novel, um, which I just adore those, mm. but it's had absolutely rave reviews. People are loving it. Um, and it's it, it's his debut novel, but it's about um, the precariousness that many 20-somethings are, are feeling in their lives mm. these days. Um, where they're burdened with debt, they'll never achieve home ownership. The, all the anxiety that we have about the planet um, forced to live in the moment really largely due to late capitalism ah. so um, and he, it's, some of it is quite mortifying I, I gather this um, right <laughs> lots of stuff to do with um, internet camera sex and all that sort of thing so I think there's probably some excruciating moments but it's um, apparently amazing so I've got my name on the list for that can't wait to get oh, my hands on it yeah I can't wait to hear more about that one that yeah. sounds really really Fantastic. Yeah, so we'll have to revisit it. Yeah. Well, um, I have got a lot on my to be read desk, but I thought I might um talk about talk about a hot tip instead oh, this week. Yes. Is that all right? Yes. Put a bit of a longer <laughs> hot tip. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now this hot tip is a triple dip hot tip. Oh. <laughs> um, by taking up this tip, you'll be showing your pride. You can get to spread your Valentine vibes on into the next week, and you can also support your local cinema. So I'm going to um, suggest that you take some time this week to go and see the beautiful new Aotearoa film Rurangi. Um, it's been created by an extremely talented ensemble of um, majority trans and genderqueer writers, filmmakers and actors from right here in New Zealand. And Rurangi is an evocative, thought-provoking and really unashamedly romantic movie of reconnecting with a hometown and reconnecting with mm. old friends and rekindling um, old loves. So you'll really gain some brownie points with this one because if you organise a date night this um, for your Valentine or your mm. Galentine or your <laughs> Talentine. <laughs> or all of the above. All of the above, <laughs> that's right. Um, it's currently showing at Rialto and Newmarket, Bridgeway and Northcote, Monterey and Howick and the Academy, which is right next to the Central City Library. In fact, all of these cinemas are actually really, really close to their local libraries, so you could make it a hat-trick and pop in to pick a little bit of what you fancy literary-wise. Um, to go with your your love your love themes for the week, you might want to collect love poetry. So head to the eight hundreds for that. You could collect a bundle of romances of all types and shapes and mm. sizes, or you could go for some erotica. We have that in the collection too. It's all we just do. waiting for you on the library shelves. 
Yeah, oh, that's a wonderful tip. And I just can't wait to see this film. It looks really good, doesn't it? It does. And like so many films now, you just never know if they're going to stay for a long time or a short time. So, you know, don't wait. Jump on it and go and support um, New Zealand cinema. Yeah, um, it might be a a really good one to see this this weekend. Um, And I gather um, with the film that it's also the sort of um, subject of uh, um, reconnecting with estranged parents. That's and, right. Yeah, yes, so. it is. So it covers a lot of ground. Yeah. yeah. And um, I also, just from what I've read about it, I think it's going to be sort of bittersweet as well, isn't it? I so think it has that aspect too. Yeah. yeah. Filmed in the Haraki Plains and oh, in right. Auckland as well. Yeah. Yes. No, it sounds really good and a really, it's going to be an important part of. The, the canon, really, isn't it? And yeah. As we Pretty move, groundbreaking, yeah. yeah as we move forward. That's right. Yeah. I can't wait, so I think I might try and get some tickets for that. I think, yeah, I think I will too. This weekend, I might take my girl pal, I think. <laughs> lovely. Well, look, this has been really lovely to to hang out with you this morning. I mean, this evening. <laughs> or whenever. I don't Where even know is. what day it is. <laughs> yes, what time is it? Um, so, look, to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in today. Um, take care of yourselves and, and be kind to yourselves and others and have a romantic few days if, if that's your, your gig. So, haere rā, ka kite anō. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and catch the program next Sunday at 9:35 p.m. on 104.6 FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz/slash books and beyond. Every day.